What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Before the human race harnessed the power of fire, there was only darkness. An inky black foreboding abyss that concealed danger, mystery, and fear. Into that darkness brave men would not venture. For as the map says, here there be monsters. Welcome to Here There Be Monsters podcast. I am your captain, Derek Hayes. This evening I'm going to deviate a bit from the set path. We'll toss out the charts, ignore the compass, and take what the colors give us. So in other words, let's order a la carte tonight. So before we jump into this, I want to remind you that if you've had a creepy encounter and want to tell the tale, please give me a call at 888-608-NIGHT. That's 888 888- 608-6444. You will be routed to a voicemail recorder where you can leave your message. I should mention that there is a five minute limit per call. So if your story takes more than five minutes, simply call back with the second half. And don't worry, it won't cost you a dime. The call is toll free. I know what you're saying, but I don't want to call. Well, you're in luck. If you head on over to www.herethereBeMonstersPodcast.com and click on the Sightings tab, you will find both the email to the show, which is herethereBeMonstersPodcast at gmail.com, but also a completely anonymous submission field for you to leave your story. In addition, if you have a friend, relative, or neighbor that has a story, please encourage them to call in as well. We'd love to hear their story. Now, on with the show. It's strange how mysterious encounters find us. Oftentimes a witness is simply going about their business when something extraordinary interacts with them. A figure moving in your peripheral vision while descending the stairs to do laundry. The flashing image of a man-like hairy creature in the headlights of your car on your commute to work, or a strange light in the sky as you gaze out your living room window. 
yet other encounters transpire less by chance, which is the case with our first caller. It comes to us from a listener in Ohio. Here's her tale. Hi, my name's Cassie, and I'm here to tell you about my ghost story. And it all began when I was 18 years old, and I met a ghost whisperer while I was serving at a restaurant in college. And at that time, I was looking for content for my final project, and I met Lorraine, and she had told me that she was a ghost whisperer and could obviously speak with the dead. I was a skeptic at this time. I wasn't positive if I believed her or what to think, but she had told me that a friend of hers had purchased property up in Maryland, um, a manor. It was an estate that was originally built by George Washington's architects, and the woman who purchased it wanted to take Lorraine up to Maryland to do a ghost hunting and a cleanse of the house before, um, I think this was before she actually signed the papers for it. And we got permission to go, and I took a couple people from college with me to Maryland. It was a crew of five of us total, and we spent the weekend on this ghost hunting adventure, filming her and seeing what I can use to pull together some sort of final project for my documentary. We arrived up in Maryland, um, all five of us, Uh, We drove separately from them. Lorraine's an older woman, so she had two of her friends with her as well. Um, The estate had 15 bedrooms. It also had um, smokehouses in the back, a large stable, and on the side of the property had a hill that was cut out that was um, originally used as their icebox or their refrigerator um, in the 1700s and 1800s and was also used as a tunnel into the basement um, for the Underground Railroad. So a river met up to the property line and in the middle of the night they would transport the slaves from the boats that they would um, be in and hide them in that tunnelway and bring them onto the estate. So with the amount of history, um, it was said that the Giddy Haha Manor was haunted. Like I said, I was a skeptic, so upon arrival at first, you know, we were just setting up equipment, and I must say it did feel very much like a haunted house. It was still staged um, with a lot of antiques, and it was a gorgeous property. But as the night progressed, my crew kept getting more and more uneasy. Um, I'm not sure if it was just the stress of being there or just the excitement or just the creepiness that that was the place. We took a a tour of the property um, outside. We walked onto the ice house, um, walked through some of the house, tried to decide where we were going to be sleeping for the night. And as we passed by one of the rooms, I noticed that there was wallpaper that was torn away for many, many years. Um, There was hot air balloons and clowns, and the the last one was um, cannons. And that room just gave me the heebie-jeebies. We just walked past it. I was definitely not sleeping in that room. They had already decided to take the master bedroom on the west end side, the ghost whisperer and her friends. And then um, we would take whatever bedrooms we wanted on the east side of the house. So we shuffled through with my crew of five people and picked out the bedrooms that we were going to stay in. And everyone went into their respective rooms for, I think, maybe three minutes before we all ended up in the same bedroom 
uh, three of us in the bed, two on the floor, just absolutely freaking out um, about staying there overnight. The best part about it was we kept hearing all of the horses outside in the barn. They were neighing and um, bucking at the sides of the walls, and the wind was howling, and the house was creaking, and every little sound, everyone was just lying awake, um, freaking out over. I think that we had joked at certain points that we were just going to end up at, at the foot of the ghost whisperer's bed, all of us. So at this point, um, I'm feeling really itchy. My feet are itching, my legs are itching, and I think that I've gotten poison ivy from our walk around the grounds earlier that day. And my friends are telling me, no, there's no possible way. You wore better shoes than we did. You're, you were covered up more than we were. Um, I don't think it's poison ivy. Just go to sleep. Of course, I convinced myself, you know, okay, you're fine. You're just freaking out over being in this creepy place overnight. Um, and like I said, even though I was a skeptic of, of her being able to contact the dead, it doesn't mean I don't believe in the paranormal. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that I, I didn't feel energies of this house because it really was a, a creepy old, old home, especially in the dining room area where the original fireplace still stood. They, they had some of like the hardware and some of the things that they had from the original house displayed over there. And when you were there, it just felt really, really creepy. But we made it through the night, and in the morning, we all met up on the back terrace on the patio, and we were discussing the plans for the day, decided to take, you know, a walk through the grounds in the daytime. So we went over to the stables, and me and my friends were, you know, commenting, oh my gosh, we heard the horses all night long, they kept us up, come to find out that the stable had been converted into a garage 25 years prior and had not had horses on the ground since then. So that was our first um, instance where we knew that there was more to this place than what we had been experiencing. At that point, after a small freak out, Lorraine had asked if I wanted to go to a specific bedroom or anywhere on the grounds that made me feel uncomfortable or had made me feel any sort of energy. So I told her that the kids' room was the one room of the house where I felt most uncomfortable. So we went up there, I set up a camera, she sat down and started telling me that two children were coming through to her. And one was a little girl and one was a little boy and the little girl was about eight years old. The little boy was four or five and she was holding him closely to protect him from us. And that they had died in a barn fire in the early 1800s. At this point, I'm just sitting there filming her, wondering what exactly I think of all of this. And then she said that the little girl was waving a feather and giggling. And the little boy was giggling as well. And she said, this little girl told me that last night in the middle of the night, she was tickling your feet with a feather and that they've been playing games with you guys and following you guys around since you've arrived. And at that moment, my heart stopped. I could barely even operate the camera any longer because of the fact that I knew that Lorraine had spent the night on the opposite side of the house and there was no possible way that she could have heard our conversation about me believing that I had poison ivy. She saw my face and said, you know, is there something you want to say or is there some, are you okay? And I could barely even speak. And I don't know to this day, you would think at this point 
that has solidified my paranormal experience and that she can, in fact, contact the dead. But to this day, I still don't know what to believe. But what I do know is that is the craziest thing that has ever happened to me and something that I will never forget. And I do believe that I was likely being tickled by a feather. Thank you for your call, Cassie. Anytime someone calls themselves a ghost whisperer or any related term, I immediately put my guard up. It's not that I don't believe that an individual can have that ability. It's more so that most who claim it are simply out to swindle money off of those that want so badly for it to be true. There's a certain amount of danger when you approach a situation like that with blind faith, and it's not the ghost you should be worried about. That aside, she seemed to be right on. She not only discovered the mischievous children, but also revealed that they'd been the source of the caller's itchy feet the night before. I'd be very curious to know if there was any record of, you know, a barn fire or even children's death on the property. How did she know these details? It's not entirely impossible that she played the horse sounds herself. Perhaps it's a nightly gimmick rehearsed and executed to enhance the guest's experience. It's also possible that she somehow heard the caller's complaint about her itchy feet. Could there have been some sort of listening device in the room that would have allowed her to tap into the secrets of the group for the following morning's meeting? These are all tricks I would not put past someone calling themselves a ghost whisperer. But, always playing the devil's advocate, perhaps she does have a gift. It's not outside the realm of possibility to believe that spirits did come to her and share that information. I myself have witnessed foretellings, and even had a few of my own that seemed to be much more accurate than I'd ever imagined them to be. Either way, it makes for a fascinating story, and I really appreciate you sharing it with us, Cassie. Our next call caught me off guard. The call is from Massachusetts, so the direction the story goes took me completely by surprise. Let's give it a listen. Hi, I'm calling from Massachusetts. Um, really enjoying the show. Just wanted to leave a story that I thought you guys might enjoy. It's a little strange. Um, I'm a, a performer um, who's worked with a couple of different theater companies and things here in Massachusetts. And in 2001, um, I was working with a local um, Halloween attraction um, that used to be done out in the campground uh, out here in western Massachusetts. And one of the nights that we were working the attraction, uh, the way it worked was we used to take tour groups going through the campground, and um, there were certain stations that we had uh, puppets, either full-size puppets that were the same size as the performers or much larger than the performers that we would step up and get inside to. And um, as each group of people came through the woods, um, as they got to each of our stations, we would get into our performance position and turn lights on that would illuminate the area and then do our performance and then they would move on um and because we were puppeteers we had entirely black clothing on black shoes black pants black sweatshirts and these sort of facial masks that we could see out of but you could not see in so when the lights were off and everything was dark and we were sort of sitting alone we were fairly still um we were very hard to see obviously so one night 
um, a couple of weeks into the performance schedule, um, I was waiting for my tour group to come through for the next part of the performance, kind of just looking around the area, you know, waiting for the signal to get ready to go. And I looked over um, into a stretch of trees that were bordering the top of a small hill um, to my left-hand side. The skyline was fairly light for being a kind of country darkness because uh, a few miles outside of the campground was a, a small city, so you could kind of see a little bit. And uh, we had a full moon or close to full moon. So it was fairly light out for being as dark as it was. And I noticed uh, when I looked over that there was a figure. I thought at first maybe I was seeing a tree a little bit weird or something. But um, there was a figure standing there, very, very tall, very broad-shouldered. Gave me the impression of almost like a football player wearing a, a football uh, uh, shoulder pads. There had been rumors at the time that there might be some homeless folks that were um, living on the campground. So I stayed very still. I was pretty afraid at first um, that maybe this was someone who meant us harm and um, just watched and this figure just sort of stood there. They were maybe about 50 feet away from me um, and I was sitting on the ground up against a tree waiting for my signal as I said and um, they just stood there looking looking around, looking sort of over in our area um, where the puppets were set up uh, without moving much. Then I got the sort of signal over my walkie-talkie that the next tour group was coming through and as soon as the walkie-talkie sort of came to life and sort of made the, you know, the little beep-beep noise it would make to let me know someone was coming through, um, the figure simply turned around and walked away. Um, and it was very, very strange. Um, I talked to the person that ran the attraction uh, that night, and we sort of went over and had a look around, and we couldn't find any signs, really, of anyone passing, but um, I did notice that sort of the head of this, whoever it was or whatever it was, um, was very close to a low tree branch. Um, we had measuring a measuring tape so we could figure out where to set the puppets up um, and make sure everything was um, going to be fit into where it had to be. So we dropped a measuring tape uh, up there the next day um, off a ladder, and um, the branch was roughly about uh, uh, seven and a half feet off the ground. So this was an extremely tall individual and very broad-shouldered. So I don't know if this was someone playing a joke on us or if I saw something along the lines of Sasquatch. Um, I do know that we had some stories down here um, about Bigfoot-type creatures running around out in the woods. So... Who knows? But I really enjoyed the show, and I wanted to share that story with you. I hope uh, I hope you might be able to use it or at least find it amusing. Thanks so much. Uh, keep up the great work. Bye-bye. See? I bet you didn't think that would end up as a Bigfoot call, did you? What a fun call. I've worked in a few hundred houses in my day, so I know firsthand that you can slip into a zone. You become aware of what's around you, almost as if your senses have been heightened. It's like you slip into a predator mode or something. You can see a little better, you can hear a little better, and you instinctively know the best moments to jump out and scare the life out of some poor chap walking by. This is what makes this experience great. I have no doubt that the caller found herself in a similar state of mind. I also have no doubt that she was well aware of what was around her. Being in a zone such as that, it would be difficult to misidentify what's around you. I can tell you that in a similar situation, you can quickly identify people simply by their outline or the way they walk, so I tend to rely pretty heavily on the description the caller gives here. That's not to say that this simply isn't a prank. After all, the entire event is centered around fun, albeit scary fun. It's not a stretch of the imagination to think that one of her fellow actors is having a little fun with his or her costume, but as the caller stated, the movement was fluid. The height was staggering, and the shoulders were wide. 
In addition, the prankster, if that's what it was, would have no idea if he was even being watched, since the performer was cloaked in darkness. So if it wasn't a prank, what was it? Are we to believe that a Sasquatch-like creature is roaming the woods of western Massachusetts? Is such a thing even possible? I'm going to do a little bit more research into the area to see what other, if any, sightings have been reported over the years. I'll come back to this one. Our next story was submitted via email and comes to us from Anne in Canada. I live in northern Canada, outside of Thunder Bay, Ontario. Back in 2004, I had a camp about 30 miles south of Thunder Bay. We were sitting around in our sunroom, basically a built-in greenhouse, relaxing, laughing, and discussing the day, when my sister said, What the hell is that? and points past our shoulder out the window. Here was, in the tree line, about maybe 50-60 yards across, a light I don't know how to describe it. It was a white-blue, but solid, kind of glowing, but not. My sister immediately shut the lights off, and we stood watching what was going on outside. I really don't know how to describe this light. It was a perfect circle behind the trees. We could see the tree's silhouette in front of it, and it started moving through the poplar birch and pine just inside the tree line, maybe at most two rows deep. We were speechless. All five of us watched as it floated or flew behind the trees where there was a small beaver dam and river. We were all standing, staring out the window, straining to see where it went when it comes speeding back through the trees, right back to where it originally began. It's then that my mother, her friend, and my brother started freaking out. My mother immediately leaves the room and runs down the stairs. Her friend follows. My brother kept repeating, What the F is that? Tell me, what is that? And my sister and I are staring at this ball. It starts the same path again, slowly traveling behind a tree. Then halfway down the tree line, it stops again. Almost immediately, it splits. And there's now two of them, one directly over the other one, behind the trees about 30 feet off the ground. Light balls. They started moving again. They go twice through the trees, and twice they sort of appeared like they switched spots, or rolled. The one on top stayed in perfect distance from the other one when they moved spots. Then the last time they went through the trees, they continued down the path to the river. We got one last look at them as we saw the slightest color of them fading out through the river. I don't know what the hell it was we saw that night. I've seen ball lightning before, and this was not ball lightning. I filed it under, I don't ask questions that I don't want to know the answers to. We never saw anything like it again. I know I'll never forget it. I love the forest, and if I think on it too long, it'll ruin camping for me for the rest of my life. So I'll just toss it back in the memory bank for another day. Thank you, Anne, for sending in that story. There's something extra spooky about seeing phenomenon like this in such a remote area. You'd expect to see something odd in a city or near a military base, but in the middle of Canada? That makes this extra special. I've heard about UFOs described as splitting or separating in the past. I've even heard reports of them shedding sparks or what appears to be molten metal onto the ground below. 
so this description is not too far out there. At first I was wondering if Anne was simply seeing some sort of hot air balloon or blimp, but when she described it splitting, that changed the game. I don't know what she saw that night, but I'm glad she called it in. Thanks again, Anne. Our final story of the evening comes to us from right here in Los Angeles, California. Here is that call. Hi, my name is Roland, and I currently live in Los Angeles, California. About 16 to 17 years ago, I was living in a town called Plainfield, New Jersey, and I was living in an old colonial home. From the very first moment we uh, moved in, the, uh, the apartment had an odd, odd energy. It was never welcoming. It was never warm. So just odd little things start to occur as we start to settle in. One of the incidences that really made us shake our head a little and decide to leave the apartment, and we weren't there very long. We were there maybe a few months, and we left. But one of the incidents um, one night, my ex-girlfriend and her friend were up late. I was in the bedroom, and that was uh, adjacent to the living room. And there was a lamp on a wall unit. Uh, The wall unit was quite high, so you had to physically plug into lamp into the socket. So one that night, uh, they were up talking, and my cat was wandering around. It was by the window, ledge. Uh, As they were talking, the light turned on. As the light turned on, my cat sensed the presence and got startled and wind up jumping out the two-story window. The cat was fine. My ex-girlfriend and her friend were startled and a little unnerved. They wind up waking me up and telling me what would happen, what happened, and uh, that the light went on, and then I'm like, that's impossible, because the light has to be physically plugged in. Uh, So that was one incident at the house. Another incident that happened when I was alone was I was on the phone talking to a friend, and I was in the living room, uh, and in the bedroom we had a, a wall unit AC, or a unit that goes into the window, and uh, all of a sudden, the I was having a conversation with my friend, and all of a sudden the AC unit just turns on. So I walk over there, it was an old unit, and you had to physically push the old button, uh, and um, that was really odd. So a lot of a lot of things like that occurred. And the lastly was our downstairs neighbor. There was uh, two sisters that lived in the apartment below us. And one night, uh, one of the sisters was asleep in her bedroom when she felt her hands across her chest and throat, uh, and that woke her up. And she opened her eyes to see there was to see that, that there was no one there. Uh, so there was presence unwelcoming uh, or even evil uh, energy throughout that whole entire house Um, and it never felt uh, no one really felt comfortable coming over Um, there was always like that presence of uh, unwelcoming spirits that was my story thank you ghosts galore tonight monsters come in all shapes and sizes the New Jersey area is quite an old and historic area I'm not surprised to hear ghostly activity is taking place there. I can't imagine something so scary that would make a cat jump out a two-story window. Clearly, it was not in the imaginations of the witnesses if the cat had a similar reaction. Something was going on that night.
When the caller mentions the odd feeling in the room, I instantly thought of faulty or bad wiring. Something emitting electromagnetic waves, a phenomenon that's been known to make people feel uneasy. I'm not an electrical engineer, but I seriously doubt that any surge in electromagnetic activity would be strong enough to light up an unplugged lamp. Clearly something bigger was at play here, but it's a very creepy story nonetheless. Thank you for your call, Roland. And that wraps it up for tonight's All the Card episode. I want to thank you all for listening, but before I go, some business to tend to. Please head over to Facebook and like the Here There Be Monsters podcast Facebook page. And while you're at it, follow the Instagram feed as well. I promise there's some interesting information on both. If you're listening to this, then it's a safe bet that you enjoy cryptozoology. So why not feed those urges by stopping by www.cryptopia.us. There's tons of good information over there for you to soak up. Remember to call in your sighting. The monster hotline is 888-608-NIGHT. Lastly, help support the show and buy some cool stuff in the process. Visit my Etsy shop, The Rag and Bone Emporium. Be the only kid on your block to own a molar from Bigfoot or your very own vampire killing kit. All purchases made help keep the show going. If you head over to the show's webpage at www.herethebemonsterspodcast.com and click on the support the show link, you can find a direct link to my shop. Before I sign off, I just want to let everybody know that my nephew Kai was born yesterday morning. Uh, welcome to the world, Kai. He's a cute little booger. All right, folks, that's it for tonight. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next week. Bye.